when I say celebrate Halloween, I'm not talking about celebrating the evil gore and everything behind that. The guardrail for me is to celebrate the opportunity to engage with my neighbors. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Dr. Ken Keithley. And I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture, filling in for Dr. Quinn today in this segment. Today in our Christ and Culture conversation, Dr. Keithley is going to talk with Dr. George Robinson about why every good Christian should celebrate Halloween. It's a really uh, engaging conversation. You're going to enjoy that. After that, Dr. Keithley will answer one of your questions in Ask the Profs. But first, let's begin with our segment called In the News. News reports indicate that 17 missionaries were captured by a gang in Haiti while on their way home after building an orphanage. Now, the story is rapidly evolving, and our listeners may know more about the details of the story by the time the episode publishes. But, Dr. Keithley, what should we make of this tragic story, and how can we pray during this time? The first thing we can pray about, and like I said, uh, the story is developing rapidly. At this point, we need to pray that the story is merely alarming and not yet tragic. Uh, we, we do hope and pray that they will be delivered and that they will be free. Unfortunately, in Haiti, kidnapping has become a major revenue stream for gangs. Uh, they have had terrible natural calamities, everything from an earthquake to hurricanes. They've had political calamities in that their president has been assassinated recently. It's one of those situations in which uh, they live in abject poverty. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And unfortunately, just when you think things couldn't get worse than they did, I think Acts chapter 12 tells us how to deal with this. Uh, when Simon Peter was arrested by Herod Agrippa, it says that the church prayed without ceasing unto God for him in Acts chapter 12, and uh, the Lord delivered. Now, in that very same chapter, James was also arrested, and he was not delivered. We realize that whatever happens, uh, whether it, the outcome is like that of James or the, the outcome is like that of Simon Peter, that we're in the hands of the Lord. And so we should pray, sincerely we should pray, confidently putting them in the hands of God, asking God to work miraculously if, if needs be, that they would be released and returned safely. This reminds us once again that what we're doing is not safe, that the warfare, spiritual warfare, I mean, is real, and that uh, the opposition is to be expected. We have been told by Scripture that we should expect this sort of thing to happen. So we are to pray urgently and earnestly. We are to continue to be on mission. When it comes to Halloween, Christians have a variety of opinions, to put it mildly. I mean, some celebrate it, others don't, and still others participate in church alternatives like fall festivals or trunk or treats. 
So how should you think about Halloween? Well, to share with us one option, today we have with us Dr. George Robinson, professor of global disciple-making, who occupies the Bailey Smith Chair of Evangelism for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Robinson, thank you for being with us today. It's good to be here. Let's just jump into the deep end of the pool. You have written a blog post in which you make a rather provocative statement. Do you know which one I'm referring to? Yeah, it's probably the title of the original blog post, uh, Why All Good Christians Should Celebrate Halloween. So you're saying all good Christians should celebrate Halloween. This is something that you're willing to say publicly on a podcast. I am. I'm I'm more than willing to say it. But if you go into the blog post, you'll see how I nuance and what I mean by celebrate it. Yes, indeed. And that's what we want to talk about. Let's back up just a little bit and let's bring in a a person, uh, a character, an an individual who has, uh, I think, had an influence on my thinking and yours that probably the average listener to this podcast uh, has never heard about. Right, and I'm right. thinking now about Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin was someone from the British Isles who left Great Britain in the 1930s. Think about this, in the 1930s, to go to India to be a missionary. And there he served for many decades. Now, think about it, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. He returns to England in the 1970s. Now, when he left England, over 50% of everyone in England attended church weekly. That's right. When he returned back 40 years later in the 1970s, that number had dropped down from 50% to 5%. Uh, not only had World War II occurred while he was gone, but so had the sexual revolution. Um, uh, the 60s had happened. And so now he comes back to a country that is post Christian. And and so he wrote in the last couple of decades of his life, he passed away in the 1990s, about how to think missionally in in your home context. And I think that there's so much that he said that resonates Uh, with our thinking about how to be an effective witness in the United States uh, in the 2020s. Absolutely. Yeah. So here we are. Um, You know, how do we think about uh, Halloween? I mean, here is a cultural artifact, if there ever was one. Sure. Uh, You know, a significant uh, holiday that is celebrated in the United States. However, let's face it, Halloween has got an awful lot of sinister things about it. So to celebrate Halloween or not celebrate, what's your take on this question? Yeah, you know, my take has kind of changed over the years, Ken. I I love Newbigin. And in fact, um, my thinking on this topic was definitely shaped by him. I I studied missiology um, when I was a student here back in the 1990s at Southeastern. And served overseas in South Asia, as uh, did Newbigin, not nearly as long as he did. Uh, But then because of some family health issues, uh, we were uh, forced to return here to the States. And when I came back, all of a sudden, I was looking at my home culture through those missionary eyes and and thinking about things quite differently. And Newbigin helped me to sort through that. So 
you know, my perspective on Halloween has changed over the years. Obviously, I grew up in the South um, as a child. I always celebrated it, right? I was out uh, trick-or-treating and dressed up and everything because I wasn't really brought up in an overtly Christian home. So there weren't like boundaries or anything related to uh, cultural involvement. Uh, but even after I came back from South Asia, um, we had three young children, and I was associate pastor at a church in Georgia, and um, we had the, the um, annual fall festival lined up, the alternative to Halloween. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Ken. After the fall festival was over, we would run our kids through the neighborhoods and let them go trick-or-treating at people's houses where they would go out and do, quote, the real thing, right? Um, but, but my change in thinking on this really was affected when we moved back here to Wake Forest in 2008. We live on Main Street in Wake Forest, and when we... Uh, here in a minute, yeah, here in a minute, I'm going to ask you about what are the unique opportunities your particular neighborhood gives you. Sure. Maybe that's, sure. Maybe that's where you're headed now. Well, yeah, kind of, because that's that's where like my thinking really got flipped. It was an actual event, right? Um, Halloween, the first year that I lived in my house here. Uh, the the crazy thing is the the real estate agent told us when we purchased our house in April to start buying candy for Halloween, and we laughed. We were like, "What are you?" what are you talking about? You know, why do we need six months to prepare for Halloween? And they said, just, yeah, just take our word for it. Yeah. So, so let's put this, let's set this up. You live on North Main in the small little town, relatively small little town sure. of Wake Forest. And it is, you know, basically the, the part of the historic district that everybody walks on it. It is almost operates like a commons for the town. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so what happens on Halloween in your neighborhood? Well, you know, to be honest with you, when I was hired to teach evangelism and missions here, that's one of the reasons why we chose to live on North Main Street, because it is a place where people in the community are out all the time. You know, I wanted to be able to work in my yard and interact with people, to talk to people when they're jogging by, those, those types of things. We wanted to be present in the community, but we had no idea uh, what that real estate agent meant when they said start prepping. And so the first Halloween came and we felt really good about our readiness in the community to uh, give out candy and to meet our neighbors. And the first Halloween came, and by 6.30 in the evening, we were out of candy. And yeah. I, we had bought more candy than we had ever bought in our lives. And the bucket So you're was not just talking about dozens. You're not even talking about hundreds. Yeah, we're, it, it, it's up in the hundreds of children within an hour or two had come to our house. And, and here's this kind of Copernican revolution in my thinking. I'm an evangelism professor, and I had to turn my light off at 630 and close the door, you know, and act like we're not home because we were, we had nothing left to give out. And I remember looking out my window, watching hundreds of families walk by um, my house. And I was thinking to myself, and this is the, where the provocative statement comes in. I was thinking to myself, this is the only day of the year 
that people who are far from God come to, they go door to door through their neighborhoods and interact. You know, we think about door to door ministry evangelism and and how difficult it is, but this is the one day that it's acceptable to go house to house, anybody. And so you get the opportunity to meet people. And here I am as the evangelism prof with my door closed, my light off, um, and I'm missing out on a great opportunity. And that is what catalyzed me to think, how can I use this rhythm that exists within our community, that exists within our culture, in order to not only be present in the community, but to bear witness to Christ. So what, what are your practices now? What, what do you do? How, how, do you, how do you approach the event now, besides yeah. buying candy in bulk? Yeah, we, we definitely buy it in bulk, and we've actually recruited people to uh, help us because it, it gets really, really expensive. So yeah, the, the very next year, I was determined that's not going to happen again. And so, you know, there's a little bit of hesitancy, obviously, when it comes to uh, aiming for, if you want to use that word, children, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the children are going to come but it's the parents, really. It's the family. It's the adults that I wanted to engage with, not just, you know, to put a drop a track in a, a child's little uh, pail of candy or something like that. I wanted to, to talk to adults. So how do you do that? And I thought, you know, the kids are getting the treats. And I know when I used to go trick-or-treating with my children, I would pull out all the Reese's peanut butter cups um, for myself. You know, I wanted a treat, too. Right. Um, So I was thinking, what can I do to um, get the adults to engage not only um, in taking a piece of candy, but maybe even in a short conversation? And so what we did is we created two lines, Uh, one line for children to come up and get their candy. And I would have members from our small group at church um, that would come over if they lived in a neighborhood where there weren't, weren't a lot of people going out. Some of my students here at Southeastern participate. They all bring bags of candy to help us to have the good stuff. But then the other line of a tent set up and on a sign on it that says treats for adults. And it's free coffee and hot chocolate for the adults that are out trick-or-treating with their children. And what that does is that brings the adults up, puts them in a line, and gives us the opportunity to engage them in short conversations just to be a light in our community, to be present in our community. Um, and we have uh, copies of, of Bibles and some evangelistic tracts and things that I've helped to uh, put together that we offer to those people. You know, we ask them when they come to get their coffee, do you have a Bible in your home? Do you have a copy of God's Word in your home? If not, we'd like to give you one. So we've given out literally hundreds of Bibles over the years, um, and those uh, little gospel booklets that I helped to uh, write w- in partnership with Spread Truth uh, Ministries. Um, we give those to every person who comes up. And of course, we've had some people that have said, no, thanks, I'll take the coffee, but, and that's fine. But yeah. the point is, is that we're present in our community. We're not creating some alternative to say, hey, um, you know, we don't approve, we don't condone of what you're with what you're doing. Uh, we want to give every opportunity to forge relationships with people uh, that live in our neighborhood and throughout our community. That sounds like just simply thinking wisely about the opportunities that you've been given. As you said, 
Uh, and like I said, it's difficult for someone who doesn't live in Wake Forest to appreciate sure. just how it operates. In fact, I often wonder why the police don't just cordon off the streets at that time because Absolutely. the traffic, you know, we've been up there. We only live a few blocks over from you and we, we know what kind of traffic you get. It's quite remarkable. As you said, yeah, like, the, whole, the whole town shows up at your at your front door. Just just to give you perspective on it over the years i've kind of figured out how do we how do we count not that the number of people really is the driving factor but how do we count how many people we've impacted or interacted with and so we use the coffee cups the number of coffee cups that we actually distribute we don't give that to children it's a special treat just for adults so how many coffee cups we give out and then uh, uh how many uh, little handfuls of candy with the uh, a website on it um, uh, that I d designed yourpartinthestory.com. Um, and that gives me an ability to track the number of people who actually go to that website the next day. I'm able to look at the analytics on that. Um, and so last year uh, we had right at 900 children that, oh um, that came to our home between 5.30 and 9 p.m. So about 900 children, and we gave out almost 450 cups of coffee and hot chocolate. So those are all people who actually came off of the sidewalk, up our driveway, engaged us in a short conversation, and most of them took some sort of literature with them. So yeah, you know, it's, it's neat when you look at yourpartinthestory.com, uh, that's my little web address that points to Spread Truth's website, gives a short five-minute animated uh, gospel uh, presentation, but it allows you on the back end to look and to see what uh, zip code uh, people are in when they're looking at. So I literally get a map and I'm able to see, it doesn't tell you who they are, but it tells you how many people in different areas. And so it's neat to see in the days after Halloween, how many people actually take time to go to that website uh, that's on the little cards that we give out with the candy. The websites you're mentioning, those are not something that that are for you exclusively. No, if our listeners, if our listeners wanted to utilize those uh, yeah. in some way to encourage people, as you said, uh, for them to see, encourage a, a neighbor or a friend uh, to see brief, user-friendly gospel presentations. Can you say the websites uh, addresses again? So viewthestory.com is where you would go and you can create a free account on there. The, the site is free. We, we put together kind of the script of this in a gospel booklet that you can buy and give out, but that can get expensive if you're giving these out, you know, especially at large community events or something like that. So we intentionally at Spread Truth, they um, produced this five-minute um, video. It's an animated video that's done by an animator who is a born-again believer, uh, but has done work for Nike. They've done work for Apple. Um, they're high quality, and they wanted to use their skills for the kingdom. And so they took over a year. They can they even got they hired an orchestra to do an original score as the background music for this high quality film and uh, viewthestory.com. You can go there, watch the film, you can read the booklet, and then you can create a free account. And that free account is what allows you to look at the analytics as to who is visiting um, that website through your, your witness.
That's really exciting. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That sounds like a great tool and a great opportunity uh, for somebody to be able to share their faith in a very winsome uh, and effective way. Well, what you present sounds very reasonable the way you've presented it. It does raise the question, and I know you think about this a lot. How do we think well about not just engaging with our culture for evangelism, but carefully appropriating those opportunities? What are the guardrails? What, what, are, the, what are the guidelines? What, what, what would you say, okay, this is something that, that is effective. This is something that we can do with integrity. Uh, no, that, you know, this other uh, avenue is not wise. How do how should we think about this? Yeah, that's that's a, a great point. You know, our neighborhood, as you're well aware, uh, you know, it's a historic neighborhood. So some people like create a haunted house environment for their house. We're not that house, right? We've got a couple of pumpkins out. We've got the nice uh, mums that flowers that are out and a happy fall y'all decoration that's out. But that's about the limit. You're not going to get ghosts and goblins and all of that kind of stuff um, when you come to our house. And frankly, Ken, you know, the interesting thing is a lot of parents, especially parents of small children, when they come to our home, they actually thank us uh, right. for providing an environment that doesn't scare the mess out of their children. Yeah, they, That way you don't have to deal with your five-year-old at nine o'clock scared to yeah. death to go to bed because what may be un- in the closet. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing is we had a neighbor, he's since moved away, but two two houses down that, um, like, he got really into it. He put a, a, a wire um, from the top of his house down across his sidewalk, and he would send a remote control ghost flying at people when they were coming up the sidewalk. And then he would chase them with a, a chainsaw that he had taken the chain off of. So that... Really, really <laughs> scary kind of yeah. stuff going yeah, that's, on. Yeah, I would want to bring my preschoolers to this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, people like Mike Goheen, another missiologist who was heavily influenced by Newbigin, he talks about this concept of being a contrast community, right? And so that's what we try to do. When I say celebrate Halloween, I'm not talking about celebrating the evil gore and everything behind that. The guardrail for me is to celebrate the opportunity to engage with my neighbors and to provide an alternative that doesn't require them to come and and see at some alternative event, but rather I'm present in my community and I'm approaching this holiday in a way that's winsome, in a way that is perhaps different than my neighbors. I love my neighbors. But our house kind of stands out as the one that, okay, this it's a little calm here. And quite frankly, sometimes parents will linger in our driveway for long 10, 15-minute conversations just because it provides a little bit of respite with their small children uh, related to um, what's going on on the, the ends of our street. So, yeah, that's you know, guardrails, we're not out to scare people. We're not out to celebrate the, the evil um, uh, facets of, of this holiday and the crazy movies and things that go along with that. But we do want to recognize that this is a regular rhythm that occurs, not just in our neighborhood, but it occurs all over our culture. You know, I think I heard yesterday, it was something like $3 billion will be spent on Halloween this year. Um, in a time where economically we're kind of on the verge, 
potential of recession, and yet people are not going to compromise on their engagement in this holiday, as, as they call it. So why in the world would I go inside or um, go down to uh, some alternative event that pulls me away from people who, quite frankly, um, this may be their only opportunity to have a short conversation with a follower of Jesus uh, that cares about them and is willing to pray for them. That's a good word. We've been talking to uh, Dr. George Robinson, who is the professor of global disciple making at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And remind us again, uh, Dr. Robinson, what is the name of the blog post? Why All Good Christians Should Celebrate Halloween. Thank you, Dr. Robinson, for being with us today. It's been a blessing. Southeastern Seminary's mission is to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Almost all of Southeastern's degrees are available fully online, so whether you're in your living room or the classroom, you can receive high-quality theological education. Get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. Now it's time for Ask the Profs yet again, Dr. Keithley, a segment where people ask us questions, hard questions oftentimes, about theology and culture and all kinds of other things. Dr. Keithley, here's the question for today. What resources do you recommend to navigate difficult cultural hot topics? One of the best uh, resources available, I think, on the Internet today is uh, the web page uh, ran by the Bush Center for Faith and Culture. It's been called Intersect for a number of years, but now we've recently changed the name to Christ and Culture. It's got a new web address, and it will be in the link below. Take a look at that and try that link. This website has a number of articles that deal with the issues of the day. Not only articles, it has also videos, uh, just a remarkable amount of, of resources. And so I'm, I'm very glad to be able to recommend our own website. Yeah, it's exactly right. So Christ and Culture, cfc.sebits.edu, I believe is what it is. The precise link there is, is in the show notes. You know, additionally, I think it, it depends on what the topic is, right? So uh, even among our own constituent as Southern Baptist, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, ERLC, is a great place. They keep us up to date with litigation, new kind of public policies that are going on, as well as things around the world. Another place, that, uh, something that I like to listen to, and I've, I've tried to cultivate this habit recently in the mornings on my drive into work um, from, from the World Magazine. They now have a podcast. It's a daily news thing called The World and Everything in It, and it's fantastic. And I, so it's just, I especially enjoy their Friday. Their, yeah, the their, Friday, Friday culture. Yes. Uh, and which, which actually brings up another. So I like The World and Everything in It, but also John Stone Street with the Colson Center. Uh, very helpful. M many others that we could mention as well. A lot of it just depends on what the topic is, but these are some common kind of go-to places. Yes, in addition to that, um, the Gospel Coalition yeah. often has articles that one can find uh, a great deal of help. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a huge favor. Go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. We look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>